0: Hi, I'm Mark, and since you last heard from me, I had a daughter. I'm Vorster, and since you last heard from me, I had a daughter.
1: Hi, I'm Justin, and since you last heard from me, I've had a daughter. So my obsession that i'm going to talk about is the fourth dimension now when i say that i i'm not talking about uh time as a fifth dimension which is pretty popular um, especially for different physicists and such but i'm going to hopefully help you to imagine what a fourth spatial dimension uh would be like um so there are a few kind of different ground rules uh to to think about uh what we're going to do first is kind of try to build a very basic four-dimensional figure, um, that of a four-dimensional cube or also called a hypercube, also called a tesseract. Um, So uh, you have your pieces of paper. So start by drawing uh, a zero-dimensional thing that is just, just a point. Right. Okay. So if you take that point that uh, it has zero dimensions, it's just pure location. Um, and then if you take that point and drag it in one direction, you're going to create a line, right? Um, and then in creating that line, so you can go ahead and drag that through one dimension. And now you have a one dimensional thing. So you have one line and now you have two points, uh, one on either end. Um, then if you take that line and you drag it, in another direction at right angles. Um, So one of the key things is that um, all these different dimensions are what's called orthogonal to each other, meaning they're just at right angles. So if you take that line and you drag it in another direction that is at right angles with the first, you will generate a square. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All so right. draw a square, <laughs> essentially. But try to think of think it. Of it as, think of it as a gener, as a generating. So first, you draw, drag a point. Now you're going to drag a line through a second dimension to generate a square, and now, before we move on, look at what you what you have. You know, have four points, four zero-dimensional things, four lines, four one-dimensional things, and one square. And in this case, to to speak broadly, you have one face. Um, now take that one face. And drag it in a third direction and you'll generate a cube now obviously we're drawing and so we're not actually making three-dimensional cubes but we're gonna make a two-dimensional representation uh, which is just a drawing Um, so if you take that square and you drag it in a third direction that is at right angles to both of the first two directions you will then have a three-dimensional figure we call that a cube we now have eight points 12 lines and six faces and one three-dimensional cube. Um, So for us, living in in our world, we live in a a three-dimensional world, this is kind of where we stop because we live in a three-dimensional world. But imagine that there was a fourth direction that you could drag that cube through that is at once at right angles to all three of the previous directions or dimensions, if you could do that, you will have generated a four-dimensional cube. So, in order to try to get a drawing, which is two dimensions removed, a two-dimensional representation of a four-dimensional thing, um, try to think of it like this. Uh, most people, when they draw a cube, they draw a square, and then they draw another square that overlaps it, and then j- connect the corners, right? So. In this case, do something similar. Draw a cube, or you have your cube. Draw a second cube um, kind of down and to the right a little bit, and then join all of uh, the corners. Does that make sense? It
0: doesn't matter how far away.
1: Not really. Um, if you make it, it'll be neater if you kind of give them some space. Um, okay. the, the lines will be longer, but uh, which will kind of mess with our perception of it, but, uh, but essentially you will have sketched a four-dimensional cube. Every point in the first cube is going to be joined to its corresponding point in the second cube. Okay. So yeah. So Mark's actually looks the the best. Um, so Whoa. What's what's? Oh,
2: I, I overlap my two cubes. Right. I thought you meant to overlap them.
0: So um, I, I kind of want to try again and it, and not it, make them so
1: directly. Well, it's fine because what's good about that is that it allows you to see. The generation, the the kind of like in the way that we've been thinking oh, the about. Dragging
2: it. part, yeah, right. Yeah, that yeah. you're
1: dragging this cube through a fourth direction. Now, uh, we if you look at a drawing of a cube, if you look at all at the angles, there are loads of most of the angles that you've drawn are not right angles. Oh, the you, drawing,
2: they're not, yeah. Right, because
1: okay. because of perspective. Right. But we understand them that if this was an actual three dimensional thing, all right. those angles would be right. Right. Um. So this is <laughs> kind of uh. Also the case in the drawings that you just made. Every angle between any two lines that you see is at, is a right angle in four dimensions. And every line that you see is the same length. And another way that you can actually draw this that is much more aesthetically pleasing, if you draw uh, an octagon and then inscribe a cube on the inside of every side, um, you will also have made a sketch of um, a four dimensional cube and that one i think is it's revealing it in different ways um so uh, so i made a little chart on the um just going from zero dimensions um uh, all the way up to four um and then that's on the the vertical axis and then on the horizontal axis i have points i'm counting points which is our zero dimensional figures uh, if you can use that term loosely right. lines which are one dimensional faces which are two uh, in this case, cubes because we're that's what we're dealing with, which is a three-dimensional thing, and then T for tesseract, um, which is a four-dimensional thing, and with this much data, it, and we so we can draw all this relatively simple, but you could feasibly go ahead and draw. A five dimensional cube. That's what I'm doing right now. Sorry. <laughs> just, but yeah, like, and so, and, and you just, all you have to do is cut kind of really follow this pattern. So think about, go back to the generation from the line to the square. What you really are doing is you're starting off with a line and you're ending with a line further away in a different direction. And then all you're doing is connecting them. And that's essentially what we did with the, with a cube. We start with a square, we end with a square and then join. Then we start with a cube end with a cube join. Start with a tesseract, end with a tesseract, and then you can join all of those 16 points to each other. <laughs> and I'm so th- it gets. I'm
2: still doing a terrible job of drawing the first tesseract, uh, but I want to see what it looks like when you know how they're supposed to connect, because that sounds incredible. Okay.
1: So it, it gets to the point where it's too messy. Yeah. Because uh, th- you're now removed three dimensions. So in my class, we, in my, my math class, we build a three dimensional model of a four-dimensional cube,
0: right.
1: which is equivalent, technically, to drawing a 2 dimen- uh, uh drawing a cube. You're making a two-dimensional representation of a three-dimensional thing. You can also think of it as my drawing of a cube is the shadow of an actual three-dimensional three cube. Um, likewise, a three-dimensional construction that I make out of straws and pipe cleaners of a four-dimensional cube is the shadow of the real thing. So here here's some some cool things. If you build a three dimensional model of a cube, you can do some fun things. You can flatten it, and you can immediately see uh, if you just flatten it, you get a hexagon with all of the diameters drawn. Um, and like like you don't necessarily think hexagon and cubes go together, um, but you can you can manipulate the the model. So if you can hold it in your hands, when you draw a tesseract, it takes eight cubes to make one four-dimensional cube. Mm-hmm. And I think when, when you draw that, a drawing of it is very difficult to see, but if you have the model, you can twist it and turn it and manipulate it, and you can see all eight cubes in this one thing that you've made. But you can't see them all at once, because again, we're, we're limited, as three-dimensional creatures have only seen so much. Technically, we can only, we're, our vision is two-dimensional. We're, we're seeing essentially a picture, a two-dimensional surface, um, as it were. So we have to manipulate. We can't see all four dimensions at once. We have to change it and manipulate it in order to see different cuts or sections of it. So for the points, you, you notice a pattern. It doubles every time. You start off with one point, then two, then four then eight and 16 you can predict you're going to have six or sorry 32 points in a five-dimensional cube There are going to be 64 points in a six-dimensional cube um, with the lines <clears throat> the pattern is a little bit different um, obviously we have zero lines in zero dimensions but then we have one line in one dimension then we have four lines in two dimensions then 12 then 32. and the pattern there is a little bit more subtle if you think about that generation process the way that we kind of talked about it is uh, so go back to going from line to square you're doubling the number of lines in the previous dimension so that makes two then there are two points in the previous dimension two point two endpoints of a line so you're going to add another two and that gets you four and then when we go from square to cube we start for lines we have four lines in the original square we're going to end our movement as it were uh with another square so that's gonna be another four lines right but every point in the original square That's is going to connect to the right going trace to out my, oh, during the dragging okay. process. I was thinking of sections adding like slices of bread in a loaf. Oh but yeah, you're
2: talking about the edges connecting right. to make new edges. Yeah. okay. And so
1: and this I is, is kind of consistent that um, every point when you jump up, another dimension is going to trace out a line. That's why you had us connect the right. corresponding points. Mm-hmm. On the and page. likewise, yeah. every line is going to trace out a face in the next dimension. And every face is going to trace out a solid in the next dimension, and so on and so forth. Um, and so likewise, so then if we go down the cubes column, obviously there are zero faces in the, fir- in the zeroth and first dimension. We get one in the second dimension. Um, and then... For faces, when we go from second dimension to third dimension, so from square to cube, we're going to start with one, we're going to end with one, so that's two. But then the four lines Mm -hmm. in the square are going to trace out four new faces, so that brings us to a total of six, six sizes of a cube. Likewise, and then to go to the last uh, one, we start with six, we end with six, and the twelve points of, um, sorry, the twelve lines of a cube are going to trace out twelve new faces, Making giving us a total of 24 uh, faces for a tesseract. If you make a similar chart for uh, the triangle, so not not the square, but you so the principle of building the triangle is you're adding one point every time. Um, so you start with one point, you end and then with one line and two points. Then rather than dragging it uh, the way we just did, you're adding a, th- a third point and then joining everything to it. Then you add a fourth point and join everything to it to create. Um, The pyramid, then you add a fifth point and join everything to it, and that creates what's called a pentatope,
0: or um, it's also called a five cell. Question. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, Now, in Avengers, the tesseract has only six sides.
2: That was a good question.
1: So, (laughs) it was a question. So, they're hitting on to something, though. They're saying that this is something that transcends our world, and I, and usually, that is kind of what the fourth dimension is. It is something that transcends our ordinary world. And, and I think that the, the Tesseract of, of the Avengers, while maybe not accurately named, uh, is still kind of giving that same kind of otherworldly feel um, mm-hmm. that even a, you know, a math nerd could be like, oh, cool, you <laughs> um, Even though it's not necessarily talking about the same kind of thing. So now that we have kind of a warm and fuzzy on what a fourth spatial dimension means, um, at least, you know, as much as we can imagine it, um, which isn't very much. um, Now I want to kind of go to to an analogy um, between us, between two other dimensions. So we are three-dimensional creatures. Um, Now I want you to imagine that the table surface in front of us is two-dimensional world. We can call it Flatland, after um, Ensign Abbott's book. So, if there was a a creature that lived in this world, um, think about, or, you know, we call it a Flatlander, think about what they would see, what they would experience, and what it would mean for you to interact with that thing
2: if they could only experience in two dimensions. Right, right. Um, So you'd have to put eyes on their points or eyes on their sides, and they could only see
1: other things as lines. They could only see lines. So this is actually kind of cool. So earlier I said that even though we're three-dimensional beings, our sight is technically Um, two-dimensional. And kind of a proof of that is what I'm seeing right now could be indistinguishable from a photograph, which is a two-dimensional thing. Right. Now, I have learn perspective. Exactly. But you learn perception and, or depth perception and, and perspective. Um, yeah. And so you know you know what things actually are. So a Flatlander would have similar. Mm-hmm. Its vision would be one dimension lower than what it actually is. So it's a two-dimensional thing. Its vision, it would see one dimension, which would be a line. But because it's a Flatlander, it lives in that world. Obviously, it can tell... Uh, the difference between whether it's talking to a triangle or a circle um because of its depth perception just like i can tell the difference between talking to mark or justin um or you so, could tell the bookshelf was behind mark and, exactly yeah. um, so that would kind of be uh its experience um now think about your interactions with it you could see all of it at once so let's say our, our flat lander was a square You could see all four sides of it and inside of it all at once but if you were another flatlander you could not see behind it but you can see all of it and inside it all at once now let's take this one dimension higher say there was a four dimensional creature that was looking down at our three-dimensional world it would see our three-dimensional world in a way analogous to how we would see a two-dimensional world it would see us all at once it could see the your face the back of your head the sides of your head and the inside of your head and it's not that it has x-ray vision it just sees it all at once because it's above but not up (laughs) um likewise with uh with you seeing the square um and you could in theory talk to the square because you are above it Um, and it could hear you but it wouldn't see you In fact, you could determine how much of yourself the Flatlander sees. So you could just put your finger down and it would perceive kind of like a a weird oblong circle-ish thing. You could put down your hand into its world and it would just see a funky shape. Um, You could, you know, lay your whole face and hands on it and it would see three different things that are all you, but it sees three different things. Right. And trying to convince this flatlander that all three of these things or four, if I put up a foot or five and then six, if I put my butt, like (laughs) all of these things are me. But they're, but to its perspective, they're all separated. And then I could also lay flat. Oh wow! And that's also me. But so, and it would, it would kind of break its brain probably because you are clearly not a simple shape the way other flatlanders are you are something that transcends shape because you are a three-dimensional thing. Likewise... If you could pass through the plane that
2: the the flatlander lives on, you would constantly be changing a shape. Precisely, yeah. And it would
1: only see the outline of the current section of your body Mm -hmm. that's passing through the flatland plane. Yeah. Um, But if we were to come across a hyper a four-dimensional creature, it could show any amount of itself... Um, and I think, and, 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 even in different locations, but it would all be the same thing. It would have to transcend our idea of a body. It would have to be something more than a body. Cause it could be in two of our places at once, just like we can be in two places in Flatland at once. Um, so some other kind of cool things, uh, if you think about travel, um, A flatlander has to move across the plane. We have to move across, you know, the surface of the earth. But if I was a powerful enough three-dimensional being, or rather if its world was flexible enough, I could bend, let's say it lived on a piece of paper rather than on a table. I could bend its world, its two-dimensional world, and make it traverse an incredible amount of distance instantly by bending its world and bringing two distant points together. Likewise, a powerful enough four dimensional being could make me walk from here to Paris in one step. If it could bend the space that I live in and bring those two points so that they are adjacent, then I could take one step and be across the world. Likewise, um, travel for me as a higher dimensional being is also instantaneous. I can be you know over here with my you know flatlander, but then I can in what seems like no time at all to the flatlander be across its world likewise a four-dimensional creature could be at once with me and then an instant later be on the other side of, the, of my world um so its travel also seems to be instantaneous it can also manipulate things in our world um so think about our square we could you know put things in front of it uh it, 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 kind of like a. If you watch, if you're, you know, watching an ant walk across the sidewalk, you know where it's going. You can just like kind of drop a piece of grass and put it in its way. Um, I, as a three-dimensional creature, could just drop something in front of a flatlander's way and block it from where it was going. Um, I could poke its stomach and make it throw up. Uh, likewise, <laughs> a four-dimensional creature could also flick my stomach or even pinch my heart and make me die. Uh, or it could put things in my, w- in my way. It could, you know, surround me with concrete walls before I could even, you know, blink. Um, it can take something in and out of my pocket at will. And it would I can look be- like it's appearing out of nowhere. Exactly. Um, and it's not that it's coming out of nowhere. It's just coming from... From a, a- direction we can't fathom. Exactly. Um, it's just... So it just seems like it's, it's appearing. So a four-dimensional creature... <laughs> pretending to be a three-dimensional creature would be like the ultimate magician because it could be talking to you and then go to your room and pull your diary out from under your bed and suddenly be holding it. Um, which would freak you out, obviously. Because I don't even have a diary. It's <laughs> so, so scary. scary. What, what I particularly like is the higher dimensional being has the prerogative to, to reveal themselves or not. They could manipulate the yeah. life of the lower dimensional being without... Being perceived so if I have my two-dimensional if I have my or my square and I see that he's about to walk into uh, you know a, a dangerous situation I can subtly do something to his world to deter him uh, from going that way because because I can see where he's going I know he's gonna be there in, in 60 seconds I have to do something right now, you know, distract him with a cute triangle over here so that he doesn't go down that bad road, right? Um, I can do those small, subtle things and it wouldn't even know that I've done anything. I would I could save its life a million times and it would never even know I exist. Um, likewise, a hyper being could also subtly influence our lives. In again, even in, in that in those small ways, right? Uh, you You catch a trick of light or you know a cute girl walking down the street, and that makes you look in that direction, makes you not do you know all these different things um, these small subtle ways of what would ultimately change our life um, and yet remain completely anonymous. The last thing I want to say about the fourth dimension is um, what I think is the most staggering thing about it, (laughs) namely that we can know with certainty true things about something that we have never seen, that we never will see, and that we wouldn't know existed even if they actually did. (laughs) That was a convoluted sentence. But I think that's so cool, is that like... I've never seen a four-dimensional cube, but darn it, I know how many points it has. I know how many faces are on a six-dimensional, you know, tetrahedron or or whatever. I can can know that. I can know something about something I have zero sense experience of, and I think that's beautiful.
2: was a recent episode of Radiolab called The Cataclysm Sentence. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. it's a great oh yeah it's a great listen because there was a, a, a physicist, I don't know, 50 years ago, who tr- came up with it an interesting... I don't remember the name. I think it was Richard Feynman. Yeah. That's not, that sounds right now that you say it. Um, Richard Feynman came up with a really interesting lecture premise for his physics students where instead of saying, okay, I could teach you all the formulas and all the history and we can go step by step, but what would be the single most important sentence that, if there were a cataclysm, would have the most amount of information, the most important fundamental truth we can discover about physics that we would pass on to the generation that could only know this one sentence and they could from it reconstruct almost everything that we now know. And his answer is very interesting and uh, in my mind the Greeks already had it, which was interesting too, but the the thought experiment then occurred to me, which was what would you what would your cataclysm sentence be if you could reduce your whole mind and boil it down into one sentence? What's the thing that you've been trying to say over and over and over in all of your work? And I I guess maybe this'll be my topic, because I want to know what you two would say. <laughs> what's, your, what's your cataclysm sentence? Because if you know, for I don't know what it would be, but like Mark, for you, you are obsessed with design and order and putting meaning into words and symbols and sounds and having things created and being a channel of uh, meaning and beauty in the world. And I don't know, like, what you would say, like, how how you could even put that into a single sentence. But mm-hmm. and you know, Mark, you are Mark Forrester. You are fascinated with. The uh, well, a lot of things, but the way you talk about the fourth dimension and the way you talk about mathematics and the way you talk about wanting to do a degree in mathematics just so you can understand what these principles are and then be able to translate them to practical exercises for teaching mathematics classically to kids. Like, if I had had a geometry class like that where it makes me, like, feel insignificant and small and and vulnerable <laughs> to a fourth dimensional being who could see inside of me and destroy me at will you know like if i could have that that would be really amazing like that that's something that like is clearly deep deeply ingrained in in what makes you tick if you and, and what makes you be a what drives you to be a mathematics teacher what my cataclysm sentence would be as, as soon as i thought about it it wasn't it, it was very clear to me that my, my sentence would just be something exists outside of space and time if i could say one thing to a generation of philosophers or people that would
0: that would set them on a set them down a path
2: encapsulate the most knowledge that i could give them it would just be that it would be the thing plato already said about the forms it would be the thing that hildebrand assumes about the forms and hmm. what is philosophy. Something exists outside of space and time, and it would be such. It would be such. I mean, imagine how. Uh, just think on a spatial level. When, uh, okay. So the ancient Greeks knew there were planets. The medievals knew that we were like the size of a mathematical point compared to the size of the heavenly spheres. But imagine that people. I guess they don't have to imagine it. You know, when you're a kid, you, all you think that exists is just what's around you and the world, and maybe you have some conception of a city and a country and the Earth if you've been on planes and things. But you don't have a sense of, you know, before you learn about the planets, you might not even realize that there are planets. And before, you know, 150 years ago, we didn't know that there were even other galaxies. We just thought that they were just you know different stars, and then we didn't even know about islands, universes, before we call them galaxies, things like that. But think about how parochial and small and kind of embarrassing it would be if we as a human race didn't know that there were other planets in our own solar system. Just that <laughs> it would just be embarrassing to think yeah. that, you know, we're so wrapped up in our own affairs that we don't even know that there are other, other planets with mm-hmm. possibly other affairs, you know. But that's the way that I would think, you know... And before we knew about galaxies, it was sort of embarrassing. Like, oh my man! Like all we think that there is are other planets. Like, don't <laughs> look how much you're missing. It's it's uh, childish to be to think that what exists is just this little sliver of the universe. But what I'm saying is, think how parochial and small it is to think that physical universes are the only things that exist at all. There, there's things outside of that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you might get obsessed with things you can taste, touch, feel, smell, quantify, study, and put into a textbook, but there's something that exists outside of space and time, yeah. and philosophers can prove it, I think. It's a controversial position, but I think you can prove it, mm-hmm. and that is what makes me teach Greek philosophy every year and not get sick of it, and uh,
1: I want to know what your cataclysm sentence would be. <laughs> I think mine would, kind of, just be an extension of yours, uh, if not a corollary. Well, that's, right. that's why well, that's 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 like
2: that's. I felt such a kinship with what you said, what you ended on, that it made me think. Well, that's
1: like that's like the heart of philosophy so to me. Is. I would tweak yours, uh, like in, in just this way. Um, I can't remember if there was a word limit to the sentence. There's not, but I mean, but just like, try to make it as compact as possible is the, is so, the, ex- the fun of the exercise. So, so can you say your sentence again? Something exists outside of space and time. Right. So, comma, <laughs> and every intellectual pursuit ultimately, or like... Uh, Oh shoot! I, didn't, I should have but thought this out better.
2: do, do, do so, you really want to get outside of space and time because you're fascinated with space, like the the multiple levels of space.
1: Right, but like, well, I guess what I'm thinking of um, is um, so okay. So, so maybe mine is not really uh, an extension of yours because you're you're talking in a bit, in a kind of more broad in terms of forms. Um, I would think of um, every intellectual pursuit followed to its ul- to its ultimate end and followed well, that is faithful to uh, reason, excuse me, um, I think ultimately leads to God. And I think when you said something outside of space and time, that's immediately where my mind went. Oh. But I think that is an inescapable thing. It's it was it's really fascinating. Um, the more books I read, especially on, on mathematics, even especially that book on the fourth dimension. There was one chapter where suddenly I felt like he was a hair's breadth away from like going into like waxing theism. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's I, th- I think it's incredible. Like we start off talking about mathematical things, and then suddenly we're talking about the transcendent, the metaphysical, and the necessity for something we call God. Um, and that's just a, a single branch of the mammoth tree that is mathematics. But I think that's true if you follow any branch of mathematics. I think it's true if you follow any branch of the the sciences. I mean, biology, I, I think, might be one of the easier routes. But, like, um, there's, there's a YouTuber that um, I, I like a couple of her videos... But then, uh, but it's really interesting, uh, she didn't post something for a while, and then she came back and she said, I didn't post anything for a while because I was having essentially an existential crisis. And it was really interesting because essentially her pursuit of physics, and that's that's primarily what her channel is about, her pursuit of physics, especially once we get into like quantum physics, um, ultimately... Ha- like you you bump up against this higher reality something that is outside of space and time yeah you, that, you need you need physics yeah you need metaphysics when physics precisely can. like do it th- when uh, you, there, there's there's a limit to where we can go like science is really just a handmade to yeah. the highest science um, and and I there's a, there's a great quote from um I'm blanking on his name, um, and I'm going to paraphrase this quote, but he but says, like, uh, the the first sip of, um, I think it was quantum physics, uh, will make you an atheist. But when you're drinking down to the dregs, there you will find God. And I think that's true not just for theoretical physics or or of or like that, but for any pursuit. I think it's a little bit easier with the humanities, um, like with with art and literature and, and right. poetry, yeah. I think that is a more direct route to but God. Yes, I, I think at least it it, it can be, but like, I'll be. I'll just say the opposite, but yeah. I guess it can also
2: be and equally obscured. you've got all the <laughs> you got all the human distortions that
1: could distract you. Right, but I guess the the, the reason why I would try to stick with my original sentence though, is that, um, reading good literature and, and not necessarily literature by, by theist, uh, and reading it carefully and deeply and thinking about some of the things that, that it communicates. I, I do think that is ultimately yeah, I can a see. natural conclusion. Yeah. Um, and, and I That's think awesome. that is wonderful and i mean that very literally like filling me with wonder because people are so different there's someone out there who could read and study and uh come to a thorough understanding of the five proofs that aquinas gives for the existence of god and be unmoved but could read something by c.s lewis yeah And you know who read something just you know who
2: read the uh, five proofs of Aquinas and was unmoved,
1: Um, John Henry Newman. (laughs) No way! (laughs) That's so exactly, and like, and 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 he's brilliant, and so like he can he can read and understand and appreciate those things, but ultimately be unmoved. And and again, I'm, I'm not talking about just believing in existence, but I'm talking about encroaching on the mystery of faith um and i think likewise uh someone could pursue you know microbiology and ultimately bump against this limit this uh, this point where the mystery of faith begins there's there's uh and and being humbled by that it's easy if you don't, if you aren't, you know, an expert in the field, it's easy to dabble in something and think, oh, yeah, things are... It's chaotic and... Yeah, things are chaotic, well, especially with, with, you know, an infantile view of philosophy. Yeah. Or, like, oh, this explains everything. I don't have to know everything to know that it explains everything, but I trust that, you know, physics and biology explain the existence of the world and everything, and there's no, there's no need for God. But I think physics and biology, especially done to his natural conclusion you realize that there's an end you realize there's a limit excuse me um and all of any intellectual pursuit will ultimately lead to that if followed well and i think that's an important um thing and the 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 other side of that is every desire is uh Uh, most more often imperfect desire for the beatific vision, like everything, even uh, even even our desire for knowledge. Um, there's a there's a line it's attributed to Chesterton, but uh, I I've yet to find anyone who actually can validate that that uh, every man who knocks on a brothel is looking for God. Um, but I think there is there is something to be said of that. Like, if you are looking for, you know, a one night stand, what you're really after, though you're you are really sucking at the execution, <laughs> is something more to be intimate with another human being, oh, to be connected, to to yeah. enter into into the mystery of If you pursue of,
2: that relentlessly enough, you will eventually find God. If, yeah. who, there's, who, there's who was a,
0: the philosopher who who said that um, every Every it was horribly paraphrased, but something about every act being basically a pursuit of the good. Even even in murderers, they're looking for some sort of release or status. Like like every, every no one no one takes actions with the idea in mind of finding something negative.
2: Uh, so- well, you could mean three things. Socrates thought that no one deliberately harms themselves, and in his mind, moral evil necessarily harms your soul. So we thought that no one ever chose something evil on purpose. Mm-hmm. Never willingly or intentionally does something wrong. You could mean that. You could also mean that whenever you have an action in mind and take an action, you're aiming at some real or apparent good. That's more what I mean. That's yeah. Aristotle. That's the yeah. first line of the Nicomachean Ethics, mm-hmm. and I think Aquinas would agree. Um, yeah, yeah. That's not. Uh, it's <laughs> a controversial. It's a controversial point, but it is. I guess I guess real or apparent, real or apparent. Anything mm-hmm. you do, you do because it's somehow desirable. And yeah. the good in Aristotle and Thomas's mind is the good insofar as it's desired or desirable. Not saying I agree with it, but that's the typical. Yeah, that might right. be what you have in mind. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I would just like to read this quote from Chapter Five of the Apologia Pro Vita Sua cool. by John Henry Newman. Cool. And he's talking about, he's almost doing, I I think of chapter five, people think it doesn't fit with the rest of the Apologia because it's not a narrative part of his conversion, but I think it fits quite nicely. He's explaining in the first four chapters how he converted to Catholicism. And now in chapter five, he's explaining Catholicism and how it's a defensible and credible religion and not just one built up out of hypocrisy and superstition, the way that the... uh, popular prejudice of English Catholics at the time took it to be and he talks about where he starts in his theologizing which is the fact of a creator of God and the fact of his own existence and these two luminous and self-evident beings is where he starts and he says when he looks out into the world were it not for this voice speaking so clearly in my conscience and my heart I should be an atheist or a pantheist, or a polytheist when I looked into the world. I am speaking for myself only, and I am far from denying the real force of the arguments and proof of a God, like I think those of St. Thomas, drawn from the general facts of human society in the course of history. But these do not warm me or enlighten me. They do not take away the winter of my desolation, or make the buds enfold and the leaves grow within me, and my moral being rejoice. The sight of the world is nothing else than the prophet's scroll, full of lamentations and mourning and woe. And he goes on. But the point is, the arguments didn't move him. Mm -hmm. But the fact of God's existence is so evident to him from his conscience Mm -hmm. that reconciling it with the disjointed nature of human beings in the world causes him, like, the only way he can reconcile the fact of God's existence, which he can't deny, and the fact of how messed up human beings are, and how that seems to say that there is no God, the only way he can reconcile them is with a doctrine of the original sin. And there's some, God must exist, human beings must be out of joint with God somehow. There's some, there's something fundamentally wrong with the way human beings are, Mm -hmm. Original sin, and then he and then he goes on and on and on, and he keeps doing things like that until he ends up with papal infallibility, and, then, <laughs> and that's when that's when the English oh, that's when the English <laughs> English Protestants who are in the English um, Anglicans who are reading him would have been um, upset. And but you can see where he starts, like oh, okay, yeah. it makes sense, it makes sense, it makes sense. Even if you don't buy the argument, he's defending Catholicism the way he was defending his choice to convert to Catholicism. Mm-hmm. But I like that what you're saying that there are different people and different. Disciplines can, are somehow, there's such a variety of things in the sciences and the mm-hmm. humanities and the liberal arts that some people can get some of it and other people can't. And I mm-hmm. guess maybe that's why you, you need teachers and scholars to to integrate all of them ultimately. but And per, yeah, preserve it and pass it along, yeah. but then different people have somehow different capabilities of appreciating things, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, you, Mark, you got the, the drawing stuff way fast. I couldn't do it. It's like <laughs> your drawing is like, oh, like, oh, instantly you just drew a hypercube
0: shadow. And Can we also well, talk... Can we talk about... Can't, yeah, can't you do that? That is a... that's a five-dimensional cube. Um, also, You're I just—you
2: have to come. Up and you've given you enough stalling time. To no, I, you know, gotta, I know, I know. I've technically been technically
0: calculate the
1: volume, hyper been, hyper volume of that. do okay, so You want to hear hyper volume?
0: <laughs> 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 oh my god! We're gonna
1: be awake for days. I just oh. want to point out that we've gone from the transcendent to screaming into a microphone.
0: I was, man, I I saw it, it was about to happen, <laughs> and I you knew you the powerless. level that you were gonna go to, but it didn't calculate to the decibel that was in the headphones that I'm Well, I, was, I didn't want to actually scream because then I would wake oh, up. Oh, it's it I sounded. Know. You did you not? <laughs> That no. was that might have been the loudest thing I've ever heard. My dad's a jet engine mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! So oh. what's your
2: cataclysm sentence? I, I I
0: can't I can't boil it down in a way that doesn't sound okay. Well, here's here's the predicament I'm in. What I want to say is that um, there is no more uniquely godlike pursuit than creativity. Oh but the and the reason i say uniquely godlike uh because i originally was going to say God, there's no more godlike pr- pursuit than creativity but then i just thought of love um and that's just the essence of of god and so it would seem kind of uh uh, uh cheap to not attribute that to love rather than creativity yeah. so the reason i say uniquely godlike is because um I, I feel like we can I feel like we can boil down the definition of love a lot more um, accurately than we can boil down the definition of creativity, because love to me is just mo- most easily des- described as you know self sacrifice and self giving and all those things, and um, that's how it was boiled down in the um, incarnation, and all of that, and the crucifixion, but what's so uniquely godlike about creativity is that you are bringing something into the world that literally did not exist until you did it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we as human beings in just a random three-dimensional space uh, with original sin and we are so not god. We are so very not god are able to cr- are able to bring things into existence that literally didn't exist before. We are able to fabricate and I, I, it's, it's, it's it, it, from, from nothing, from an idea, from, from an inspiration mm-hmm. is to me so uniquely godlike in a way that even, even love isn't just because we can, because, just because love can be so much more specifically defined, I think is, is why I well, think of it, does that make sense? Does I would, that make sense? I would actually say I was
1: with you up until that last sentence. Cause I think if you focus more on the nature of love,
2: Love is Justin
1: and Genevieve didn't exist until y- you became a co creator with God. Like, he allowed you part- to participate in the creative act. You're right. You can
0: be autonomous with. Are you con- attributing procreation more to love or creativity?
1: To, he said to both, right? But Ultimately, creativity. both, yeah. 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 Um, but, like. I think I think that's a more evident example of this is the fruit of love whereas uh, a sonnet or a song or uh, a novel c- would be the the fruit of um, right. creativity and it's the same thing I, in I terms guess of I have, yeah sorry go ahead this didn't exist until I mean in the one case you willed it and the other way you willed it your wife willed it and also God willed it mm. <laughs> but um um uh, and but like uh Oh, crappers. Well, maybe you, no, maybe, I was, so you, what was I going to say about you, that?
2: Mark, you were saying that the you want to put you, some kind of special godlikeness in creativity, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you wanted to specifically call out and attribute that godlikeness to creativity when you thought of the example of love, because love would also be godlike, love being the essence of God but I think now what what Forrester is saying is that there are profound instances where love and creativity are somehow the same thing or have the same goal or the love becomes creative or the creativity begets love or you know when you have something that you love you be, you become creative or when there's like you you might have been trying to isolate love from creativity but you've hit on this this nerve in the universe that resounds all the way back to the trinity and you're maybe they're not quite as separate as you thought but if you want to give a special genus where like okay yeah there's creativity and that includes the sonnet and the song and the child and the universe and you know any creative act of any kind of any artist of what whatever kind of material they're working in and then there might be the the like human love of a parent to child that comes out of that kind of there's a kind of uh, creativity that involves love, in that sense, you know, eros love or agape love. But then there's um, creativity. Creativity is wider than love in the in the sense specifically of what you meant by you know wh- well whatever whatever you meant by love. It seemed like you meant there were human acts of one person loving another
0: person. All all I really meant is when 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 we think of God is love and just the most. L- the most loving act in the history of history was the crucifixion. Um, I was just thinking of that, that definition of love as being so specifically Mm -hmm. self-sacrifice that um, it's something that we can very easily emulate. Um, Well, I I say easily emulate (laughs) not that like people are just being crucified on the daily or anything like that. But I just, I just mean that um, giving of yourself and sacrificing of yourself and willing the good of the other is, um, it's, it's not like each instance of that across the whole world looks so dramatically different as each instance of creativity looks so dramatically different, like a painting versus a song versus a poem versus, you know, a video game that you program. What would
2: fourth dimensional art look
0: like? Do you, does that, do you know what, do you know what I mean?
2: I think so. There, you're saying there's more, there's more variety in kind between different
0: kinds of creativity and art. Right, right. Then even there's variety in div- there's, kind there's between human
2: art. There's divine art. There's a million forms of human art. There's
0: and that's why creativity entire... has been so, so dear to me because I, I feel like every time I finish a song, I'm so grateful that God even thought to give us this gift. It's like, it's like when my dad gave me the cd of graphic design software that he used to make his signs like i see him running this business and making money and supporting our family with this thing that he does and here i am at 13 years old and he's like here play around with play around with this thing that I, that, that I run this entire show with. Like that's like on a much, much grander scale, God creates Mm -hmm. and did all the, and of course he also loves and everything. And he gave us that capacity as well. But like every time I create and bring something new into the world that literally didn't exist yet, I'm like, why, why am I allowed to do something this cool? This is Mm -hmm. just insane to me. So I not that I don't feel the same when I do some sort of self-giving or self-sacrificial act, but that's but, what
2: amazes you. That's your cataclysm sentence. Right, that you want to pass on.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think you've hit on something extremely profound, and the there there are several things that I want to say. One is your dad giving you the software to make graphic design your own is, on the higher order, God, who's, who is intelligence itself and mind itself. He's the Logos. I mean, the, the son of God, the reflection of God's mind is the Logos, and he's the infinite intelligence. That is your dad giving you the software is God giving you intelligence. Mm-hmm. is giving you a mind is, giving, is making you a little god mm-hmm. is making you not just everything in some way that a creator makes resembles him or her in some way some way even if just by the fact of existing but human beings are like god in a way that not all creatures are because we have his image and likeness. Mm-hmm. We have in the, the the medieval way of interpreting it is that we're we're able to will and to think and make things bring things into being that did not exist
0: before. So I want to I want to say something and get your reaction when I when that's I that's one like, thing I
2: wanted to say but there's yeah there's okay
0: something. you can you can say both of them because I don't I don't want to break I don't want to no go ahead go ahead it's so when I create a song it feels kind of weird because I'm like I created something that God didn't even make what are your thoughts on that like that just freaks me out
2: God didn't even make um, well I would say so, <laughs> God God made all the materials of with which you make things yes. That are newly combined yes it would be I think I, I would say God is if God is omniscient then he's thought of every possible combination of every material in every possible way that makes me but, feel a little so, better but, <laughs> I, but he didn't bring sorry. it all into being but you did yeah but he gave you the materials like your dad gave you the software you know you know all the potential for every possible line, vector, and color, and that software was already in the in the software, but no one brought it into mm-hmm. actual being. And then, you know, God creates ex nihilo with no prior materials. That's the difference between you and God. Right. You can't. You can't. You can't create a new dimension. You can't create a new number. You can't create a new color. Right. You can't create a new anything. Right. And that's really grounding, form. though. That's. Yeah, I mean, that's. I, that's. Yeah. In a sense, you can't create anything. If by create, you mean create out of nothing.
1: You can only create out of something. I would only... My response to that would be... uh, That thought would be analogous to, like, if Justin came up, baby Justin, little Justin came up to you and said, "Uh, ah, uh, Look, I made a song that not even you wrote. (laughs) (laughs) And you would look at him like... Yeah. yeah, but I could've. <laughs> what, I do. what I can like, do? Like no, like no offense, Justin, but my shit's just better.
2: <laughs> like, and and I,
1: like and I, I, I think, I, I, I'm trading in waters that that, I have no business being in when we're talking about music, um, but like, but I do think about, I, I, i I love writing, um, and I love story, um, yeah. but the story of my wife and i coming together and not just like being friends which would have been enough but being lovers but yeah like but like getting married <laughs> and it took Shut eight and, Mark, you're sweating and it took he <laughs> and that it took that it, that it took 8 years for this romance to blossom I could I will never write a story as good as the one that our Lord wrote for my wife and me and so like I, I so I, I have the same kind of like genuine awe and love for the capacity to write a story that no one's ever written before but at the same time I'm incredibly humbled by how God
0: has written the same
1: or like made yeah. Made, yeah. made that story seems
0: like that I could never make traversing from the third to the fourth, fourth dimension in that like it's it's almost reminds me of like seeing a picture of the Grand Canyon versus being there to to look at it I've mm-hmm. I've never seen it with my own eyes but I I understand that there's no picture of the Grand Canyon that could possibly yeah. possibly give you the feeling and and there are no, there's no combination of words or spoken word that could properly tell the story of mm-hmm. you and Claire because it isn't, it isn't something illustrated. It isn't something. Sorry, it isn't something um, composed on that level. Mm-hmm. You had a second. Thing there's, there's several. Things.
2: Well, just want to react to what you were saying. So, Mark, you're saying God, you are amazed that you are an artist and that God lets you be an artist. But the fundamental fact is that. At the top, God is an artist. And then, Mark Forrester, you were saying, the amazing thing is that you can write these stories, and you love writing stories, but God is a storyteller.
1: In a way that I... He he, he wrote with free beans. Right. right. In a way that my created... Your paper beings, Yeah. Right. yeah.
0: That, yeah. I that could, you have
1: 100% control of. <laughs> in, a, in, a way, in a way, yes. Way, yeah. <laughs> but, but I... Yeah, but then that's getting into another tangent. Yeah, yeah. But like, uh, but like, my beans could cease to exist when I stop writing. I don't. God continually wills me to be. Yeah. And this story continues, and it's better than any story I could ever write.
2: And it's the, the story that. is
1: so massive and.
2: Incomprehensible the mm. way that we are now that it seems like there is no story. It's such a massive story that it doesn't seem like. I mean, no character in a story thinks they're in a story, right? Mm. And it's uh, <laughs> it's like they can't grasp the beginning the, of end of the affair. It's like the middle of Lord of the Rings, or um, no, it's like the beginning. Okay. <laughs> the other thing, the other things I wanted to say is that Mark, so uh, back to the point about your cat, your cataclysm mm-hmm. sentence that you're amazed at uh, creativity and somehow it's this godlike privilege. That goes, that goes back to Plato, but I want to say it's a, where it shows up in the really recognizably in the English-speaking tradition is with Philip Sidney and the the apology for poetry and he means by poetry not just versification but imaginative fiction in general any kind of thing you make up and he's Interested in defending the possibility that it's not, uh, people were nervous about and kind of upset about uh, imaginative literature at the time, and he's defending it on several grounds. One of which is that it makes us like God. It's a thing we can, you know. There's nature, and nature has a brazen world, but we can make a golden. We can make with imaginative literature a, a way that uh, you can. We can make new worlds like God does, that are even better than the one that that exists now. And it's a kind of godlike thing to say that we are able to create these new worlds out of seemingly nothing, but really, you know, prior existing materials and imagination and mind. And he has this exalted view of poetry and of the poet that rests on that insight that you are trying to articulate, I think, in part. And the other thing is uh, that tradition comes to another head in the 20th century when Tolkien writes his sto- his essay on fairy stories and he talks about God as a creator and we are sub-creators. God makes the primary world and we can make secondary worlds. And of course, he's known everywhere now for world building and fantasy fiction, dedicating his whole life to making this complete and intertwining mythology. But he has a whole poem called Mythmaking or Mythopoeia <laughs> and he has this couplet where he says we make still by the law in which we're made God makes us and then we want to make other things oh, wow. God creates you Mark and he put his artist stamp he stamped you with an artist stamp extra hard <laughs> and then now, now you go and you make You your, your creativity is boundless the amount of songs and lyrics and designs and art projects, like, it just, I don't know where it comes from. <laughs> I've been doing the same, you know, I've been working on the same project for the last month and a half, and it just keeps getting longer and more articulate and more defined and, pro- you know, you know, I'll worry about the same paper and work on the same sentence over and over and over, and I can do this one thing, you know, but, like, the variety is crazy. The variety, uh, you know, visual art, musical art, video, you know, photography, all this stuff, and it's like, the amount of it is insane, but you would probably appreciate, really appreciate that essay because he... Defends fantasy art the way that Sydney defended imaginative literature by appealing to a theological parallel that God God is an artist first and then we become sub artists.
0: I want to read it. No,
1: it's good. Cool. I want to read the Sydney essay. That's a very few more it is eleven
2: fifteen. I know. You tell your story and then we we'll all laugh and go to bed.
0: Back in 2015, um, I, had, I had just reconnected with Julia, your sister, and oh 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 yeah, thank you that for the Julia. yeah that Julia. <laughs> um, and uh, since she was um, working in New England, I decided that I needed to get a job in that area, so I moved to uh, Western Massachusetts, a town called Greenfield, and I moved into the weirdest apartment ever. It was a six it was six apartments in one building and it had was an, six. Yeah, six different oh apartments God. in one building, one massive house, tiny, 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 little horrible apartments on two different floors. And it had an absolute circus team lineup of tenants. <laughs> there was, <laughs> no, it was insane. There was this old lady, I don't remember anyone's name except for one person. So um, there was this old lady who lived next door to me that fell asleep every night with her TV on so I could always hear her TV going. And she uh, lost her license because she kept on backing up into everyone else's cars as she left the driveway. Um, There was this guy, I won't say his real name, but he had a name you wouldn't expect being a guy, so let's just call him Lindsey, though that's not very far off from what his actual name was. Um, He was a mountain bike instructor and he had this fat waddling bulldog with a chain for a collar that he wanted me to meet one day in case I ever came home and he wasn't there. He didn't want the dog to attack me. So he wanted the dog to familiarize himself with me. Uh, he was, he was far and away the coolest and most normal tenant that there was. Uh, there was this middle aged guy with a mohawk and he had a cane and he had the vibe of someone who was always about to say something racist. Then there was Todd, (laughs) not his real name but absolutely his real name (laughs) so 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 todd was soft todd todd was about our age and his dad was the landlord of the place so he probably had a good deal on rent and everything now todd i immediately out of the gate just got a bad vibe from this dude he had a strained relationship with his dad to begin with like i could tell that (laughs) It was very like he was on thin ice constantly and was you know that's kind of the the deal with it he kept on asking me if i wanted to share like he want if he could share wi-fi with me and he'd split the bill and like how immediately he asked me that like the day i moved in and how aggressively he asked me that made me very much not want to do that (laughs) i was like i hardly remember your name and then later he he told me it was cool because um, he found out this cool way to bend a wire hanger to where he could steal the internet from the community college a mile <laughs> away. So, <laughs> um, so it was all good oh. so so that's where I was living. I was working at an all girls boarding school, so where I was during the day could not have been more of a an opposite environment from where I was when i went when I went back home. And I came home one day to piles and piles of personal things in the driveway, not my stuff, but just like like mattress, lamps, you know, desks, clothes, just chairs, just stuff in piles in the driveway. And this guy whom I had never met, throwing it all into a dumpster. Turns out it was Todd's brother, right? And it turns out that Todd had just gotten kicked out of the apartment by his dad. And this, So Todd's brother was now throwing all of Todd's stuff into the dumpster because what Todd did was just take a couple of his things and leave and not clean up his apartment. And he left his older brother to throw away all of his stuff. Fast forward one week, I go to work. Well, I go out to go to work. I step out the front door and I realize that one of my tires is flat. So I pop the trunk. And I go to get the spare tire, and the spare tire is flat as well. So I call into work, and I let them know what's going on. And I roll the flat tire because because my spare was just like a like a donut, it wasn't a, a real real tire. So I rolled my my now flat tire that was on the back of my car down to the garage like a mile away, and. I was like, can you patch this up and fill it? And so, you know, 10 minutes later he comes out and he's like, yeah, we can't do that. We, we usually can do it if it's just like a puncture, but this is a slash. We can't we can't patch up a slash like someone slashed your tires. And so I roll that back home and I got the spare. And so I rolled the spare back to the garage and I was like, okay, can, can you at least just fill this one up too? 10 minutes later, yeah, this one's been slashed too. That was in my trunk. So, just a note there. So right when I got home from rolling the spare, so now I've taken four different trips to roll this, roll different tires to and from the garage. I get back home with the spare tire and I get a call from Todd. And I answer the phone and I was like, what, what? <laughs> How did you know it was Todd? because, well, I had his number in my phone because he was, he was, like, my main contact. Yeah, because he, yeah. Um, And he just says, I heard somebody slashed your tires. (laughs) Never call the police and say, I heard there was just a murder. (laughs) So I was like, how did you know I had a flat tire? He's like, oh, I was just driving by and I noticed it. And I was like, okay. And he's like, listen, Mark, I've, I've always known that, you know, you were a good guy, you know, good morals, whatever. And I'm, like, immediately, like, this dude is buttering me up for some stupid reason. And I, was, and I was like, okay. And he's like, I know something. It would probably be best if you just moved. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, somebody doesn't want you there. And so I was like, look, Todd, I have just rolled the tire across creation. If you have something to tell me, I'm not in the mood for guessing games. Like, what? What is it? And he's like, my brother slashed your tires. <laughs> Now, when I met his brother, I was like, this is the most normal, likable, normal dude in the world. And I was like, Todd, what are you talking about? He's like, he wants to kick everyone out of the apartment and hollow it out and turn it into a meth lab. So basically his dad kicked him out and horrible Todd left all of his stuff for his brother to clean up. And then he tried to, then he slashed my tires and tried to blame it on his brother. Oh God. <laughs> so then and I got a job here instead and now I've, now I've been living with you that's much better.
2: What did he think slashing your tires would accomplish?
0: I I mean, he thought he, he was going to be able to successfully frame his brother. I don't... Honestly, I don't like, know was what... He trying to get you kicked out? He was trying to get me to move. He was trying to get me to move. I don't... So
2: he could move back in?
0: Or just maybe just so that his dad wouldn't believe get... Believe it, it or not, right? I tried to... I tried to get out of that situation and not think about it much more beyond this story. It's
1: it's the perfect
2: crime other than he confessed to it and
0: it had no motive
2: or goal. But other, other than that, that it's, yeah, it's
0: a perfect crime.
2: Do you live in fear of people slashing your tires now?
0: No, because I don't live with Todd. Oh. <laughs> Todd's not normal. I don't know if you picked up on that. Can I connect with him on LinkedIn? Sure.
2: And just message in out of the
0: blue. I heard someone slash your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was such a that was such a weird that was such a weird apartment. Six hundred dollars a month though. That's pretty good. That's really good. You know we're splitting internet now. I know. Good luck into work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Underwater adventure vibe. <bot. laughs>